There's a cold silence that we don't dare speak. There's a wall between us and a river so deep. We keep pretending that there's nothing wrong. There's a code of silence and it can't go on. Hi folks, this is Alan Watt and we're cutting through the matrix on April the 12th, 2010. Newcomers should look into cuttingthroughthematrix.com website and you'll find hundreds and hundreds of hours of talks that I've given over the years which you can download for free. While you're there, look at the front page, scroll down and bookmark all the other sites I have up there because sometimes uh, you'll find sticking on download if so many folk go into the comm site at the same time, which generally happens. So if you're getting problems at all, try these alternate sites that are all, all listed on the front page. And remember too, if you want transcripts of the talks I've given, you can choose uh, transcripts from the various languages of Europe. If you go into alanwattsentinel.eu, that's the European site. That's also on the front page of cuttingthroughthematrix.com. And you can download those and print them up and pass them around to your friends. As always, I, remember, I remind you to, to, that you are the audience that brings me to you because I go it alone here. I don't ask for money from organizations or even to bring on guests. Uh, some guests get paid to, to come on shows and uh, and vice versa. Some will pay the host to bring the guest on. So it's up to you to keep me going. Uh, the ads on this show that you hear are paid directly by advertisers straight to RBN. That pays for the airtime here and the staff, technicians, equipment, and for the broadcast and for their bills. So you've got to help me out by going into cuttingthroughmatrix.com website, seeing what I have for sale, the books, CDs, discs, and purchasing them. That keeps me just ticking along. Sometimes I'm, I'm submerged under the water. Sometimes I'm just floating. Uh, but I'm never really flying, put it that way. It's up to you to keep me going, however. And you can find out how to do it on the website, as I say. Uh, from the U.S. to Canada, you can purchase using personal checks to Canada. You can also use an international postal money order from your post office if you want to. You can use cash. Some folk just send cash with the order. Other folk use MoneyGram, Western Union, and uh, PayPal. Now you can donate through PayPal. If you want to order through PayPal, just send the appropriate amount of money. You'll see how to order on the website. And uh, send me a separate email along with the PayPal donation, and I'll get it out to you. Same across the rest of the world. MoneyGram, Western Union. Uh, you can use cash or PayPal. That's all up to you. And for those who get the disk burned and passed to them, passed around to them, uh, you can get in touch with me at Alan Watt, Site 41, Box 4, Estaire, which is E-S-T-A-I-R-E, Ontario, Canada. The postal code is P for Peter, 3, E for Elizabeth, 4, N for Nora, 1, P3E, 4N1. And lots of folk really don't want to use computers. They play these discs on their CD players. And I've said from, from the very beginning that... Uh, I'm only using the computer for a short time while we have this window of opportunity to use it and get stuff out to people. But at the same time, 
the window is being closed as more and more regulations come in. And once we're all in the cloud, believe you me, you will be censored if you're, if you're not socially uh, correct. If you're politically incorrect, uh, you will simply not have access to the cloud. That's already in the works, and that's how they will run your lives. And you'll need to be on computer for the cloud if you want to do banking and all the rest of it. If you notice, everyone's getting harder and harder time trying to keep up with their programs and their updates and all the rest of it as they keep updating things every few months just to annoy you. And uh, that's intentional, folks. If you think there's separate organizations out there with free uh, firewalls and free spyware and all the rest of it, no, you don't go out there and supply the world with free software and spyware. It's all from the big boys that are all working together. Back with more after this break. And I'll tell you why they're doing it. This is Alan Watt. We're cutting through the matrix. Just mentioning about the cloud coming in and how all the big boys have made sure that We've had years to get hooked on internet and people have forgotten their common sense and go into all kinds of chat rooms and spread all their information all over the planet, all on behalf of the big boys, because that's whom you're really serving. It's far easier to control populations when you have everybody's uh, data in instant retrieval and, uh, and they keep records of it all for their own use to monitor every single body in the planet. This is incredible when you think about it. And people voluntarily do this because, after all, each one thinks, well, who's watching me? I'm too insignificant. That's how everyone thinks, you see. And that's not the point. You see, they've got to know every single body in their business and what you're up to. And one day when you break your patterns, and it's all down to patterns. They've got you down to a T, what you do on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and so on. Once you break your patterns, you will get visits to your door to see why you've broken your pattern, probably with some kind of mental health uh, team to give you an interview to see if, if everything's up to par, what's wrong with you, etc. I'm not kidding. That's in the works, and I think it's already happening. And it's actually happened in one or two cases that I've heard of. But getting back to all the spyware and all the rest of it, now I've said for years that, you, that the big military-industrial complex really is one big consortium. Uh, no one works on their own without telling the rest what they're up to. In fact, if you want to run the world, which they certainly did during World War II and afterwards, they decided that they'd have to have legitimate uh, enterprises that they, where they really sold real products to the general public. Uh, and the real main uh, objectives, of course, would be hidden from the public. And uh, if you truly want, were an independent company and you came out with some kind of communication device that would bypass all authority and means to control, then you, you would not last. You wouldn't get it out. That night you'd be dead. Because power never gives itself away. It doesn't share it, you see. You can't have competition. Therefore, the NSA and the CIA and all these boys put out real companies and corporations, international ones, with, with real cash and back them up and put in their own CEOs, but, of course, the objective was always to, was re, to, to really bring in this networking system, this complete net of the world, a web across the whole planet. They're actually calling it now the planetary skin in different terms as they bring more and more objects with chips into play that all communicates for further observation of every individual. 
but it, but the intention was always through model after model and making things more and more frustrating as you keep updating things and um and you've got drivers to get if you can't get drivers, blah, blah, blah. You know, everyone's been through the same sort of stuff. You know what I'm talking about. Frustration, frustration. Now, if something works, why would you change it? Yet they're, they're changing things all the time. And even people who are really geeks and really into it have told me they're getting fed up with it. Well, that's the intention. First, you make people fed up. And then when they're all really fed up, you bring in the cloud. And they bring out a new computer that you don't need a hard drive for because all your personal data, everything you need, everything that you've looked at will be in the cloud in your personal web space on your site. And you can't lose anything. You don't have to bother updating spyware and stuff because they'll take care of all of that for you. And every program will be updated. You won't even really need a hard drive. You might get a temporary hard drive so you can watch a movie and save it for later and watch it again or something. Boom, then it's gone. But that's the intention of it, because intention isn't just to keep you happy and playing. Uh, that's a big part of it, so it's to the, all your data and your networking friends. But it's also to, to make you dependent upon a system in a cashless society where you'll have to be a very goody two-shoes to be allowed to participate in that society. And that's the key to it, participation in a society that's already planned to get your money for your groceries, for whatever you need, will all be done online or electronically. And you'll have the one number for everything, for your password into the cloud and everything else. And social disapproval and social approval will be used. And if you send one joking email off to someone that's PC, uh, politically incorrect, um, Uni finds that uh, you'll be censored and punished for a week or two. And that's already been discussed in a few different articles that have come out. We're just animals being trained, you see, along a certain path. But we're trained this way with everything. First you give frustration, then you give the answer. You have something that works, enter the frustration period, and then give the answer. And we all say, oh, thank God they've fixed that, we're in the cloud now. Same thing was done across the, the, a good part of the world with the smart meters. Before the smart meters to read your electricity, yeah, someone would come, you're paying for it all, right? Uh, someone would come and read your meter, then you got the bill. And generally it would be correct according to what they read. And if you didn't, you didn't agree with it, you could always get a real person to talk to and sort the problem out. Then they went to smart meters. Uh, before they went to smart meters, though, they kept the same old meter, did away with the person who read the meter, and they'd only come four times a year. This has been going on all the way from Denmark, Sweden, across the world, right out to Canada here, and now into the States. And they always give you wrong bills. This is intentional. And when you phone them up, and they give you the option, by the way, of phoning in your own reading. And when you phone it in, they disregard it anyway and give you some increase, something four or five times what it should be. And then when you get someone eventually on the phone uh, to talk to some real person, uh, they'll all agree you're right and all the rest of it. They'll sort it out. They'll send you another bill. And it's exactly the same as the last wrong bill. And they'll do this two or three times. And this goes on for maybe a year or two. And then they bring in the smart meter. And the whole idea is to in- intensify frustration that was not there before when the service worked and someone read the meter every month. You get frustrated and frustrated. And then they come out with a solution. Here's a smart meter. It's done automatically. And you all say, oh, thank God for that. You know, no more phone calls every week trying to sort out their mistake. You see how they do it. This is intentional. It's a strategy in business. 
We're just to test animals. Uh, they've tested it on other kinds of animals, of course. They start on the lesser animals in laboratories, and then they test it into the bigger laboratory, which is called planet Earth. And we always fall for it in the same way. Anything for convenience will we'll sell our souls. We'll, we'll buy the chains that bind us, quite happily. Thank God, oh, thank God, it's about time, that's what they say. They never say, well, why did they make it hard and complicated in the first place when it worked before? Why would they change things, eh? There's always a reason, remember, and it's never the one they tell you. Governance has always really been here, the word governance. We've heard it now, global governance, and it's a system whereby uh, the population and, and the citizenry have no inputs into what's happening and they get laws put on them whether they like it or not. That's literally what governance is. It's where those that are fittest to lead according to themselves as they choose each other uh, will simply do that without our input whatsoever. And that's what governance truly is. And really, it's always really been that way. Before they put on a charade, uh, they give you uh, fake stories for the media. The media worked hand in glove with them, and they all winked at each other and uh, pass it on to the general public. The, the, all these implausible excuses for all the screw-ups that we saw happening in society and politics and budgets and all the rest of it. That was just the humoring phase that we went through, as you would humor children when they asked questions that were a bit beyond them. That's how we were treated. But now they go into governance, where you simply do, and they will just bring on a panel of experts or, or, and, and they will announce it, at some meeting, world meeting, signed into law, and experts say, therefore it is, and that's it. That's your new priesthood uh, experts, you see. They always give you a priesthood for every every uh, era. And now we're in the, the, the information era and the governance era, and we've got a panel of experts for everything. It doesn't matter if they're using voodoo or crystal balls or anything else. It doesn't matter what the public really think. It's not meant that you really understand the reasons for it. And the reasons are always uh, along the roads of the political agenda. There's only one political agenda. And it certainly is the eugenics system, the, 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 the planned takedown of societies, the distribution of wealth, which really is not uh, where you think it's about or where it's going. It's nothing to do with that at all. The total destruction of the, what they call the obsolete family unit. And... Um, the reduced population, which will serve the elites very, very well if you have the right genes and the right IQ to pass the tests. That's really what it's all about. That's how they envisaged this society an awful long time ago. Uh, world meetings were, were had over and over and over since the beginning of the 1900s on this particular area, and now we're here. But now it must be cajoled and humored as we go into it. And that's already here, of course. The greatest con amongst eugenicists, uh, when they changed their name to bioethicists, of course, um, after World War II, uh, the Nazi party gave them a, a bad name, so that they changed it to bioethics. And they first ruled out to the public, uh, the bioethicists, when they introduced Dolly the sheep. Now, Dolly in the, in the parlance of masonry and so on is a carrier. It's something you carry something on, a dolly. Benjamin Franklin talks about it when he belonged to the Hellfire Club in London. And uh, a dolly in, in, that, in his day, of course, was some, a woman who carried the right kind of genes. And if you were awfully good for serving the great work, you'd be allowed to breed with her. 
you didn't have to stay with her or live with her, but you were allowed to breed with her, and she, and you would have uh, the offspring, uh, and that was part of your reward, a carrier. And uh, that's what they call Dolly the sheep, Dolly, a carrier of a specific type of gene, a new type. But they, they rolled out the bioethicists, and it was the first time most of the general public, the outside of academia, had heard of them, and they were instantly there. Instantly there, these, these experts on ethics and bioethics. And that was all news to the general public, of course. And like everything else, we adapt to it very quickly. And when the bioethicists say this, and it must be true, uh, they're wise people and they've studied and so on. Well, to, when it comes to human life, for instance, uh, are you going to hand it all over to academia to decide uh, the rights and wrongs of tampering with human life? I certainly aren't. I would do that. Nope. Back with more after this break. This is Alan Watt. We're cutting through the matrix. Just talking about bioethicists and so on, and how we're conned into believing they know something more about uh, life itself and should there be life in humans and should there be so many humans. Not uh, More than we do, you see, because they've done uh, courses in university about it, you see, so they're, they obviously are much smarter and they've obviously come out of special wombs, uh, uh, different from those lowly births that we all came from, you see, and they're elevated into a special position, but they're still eugenicists, you see, that's what they actually are. And their whole line is to find new ways of tampering with genes, etc., to make new types of humans that will serve them better in the future, on behalf of their masters, after all, because those who have to work in this system are not the bosses. They're still worker bees. But um, we're conned left, right, and center with the charade that's presented as the news to us and by the experts they present on television to give us always the dialectical position the pros and cons of things. It's even amazing to me when I was a youngster, I used to watch the occasional, uh, the very occasional political debate. I knew it was all a con, but what was interesting was when a prime minister or president would come out and say his little spiel, that he was reading off a dummy board written by a scriptwriter, uh, and then you would have the experts would come on afterwards to, just to tell you what he said. And it was amazing the things that would come out of their mouths, you know, because uh, you would never hear them saying anything of the kind. But uh, it's amazing how these experts could actually tell you what they really did say or they inferred or what they meant to say. And you would have two opposing views always, you see, the dialectic. And then you just give up and, or you'd pick one of the two as your favorites and go with one or the other. You know, that's how things are run, very simple, uh, very old techniques. And they're getting better and better all the time. Uh, techniques now that they have social psychology in there uh, and are coupled with behaviorism of how society reacts to different situations. It's nothing but sciences that they keep us going today. They humor us with them. But um, for a good example of that is, is, is the, the eugenicists that really wanted to drastically reduce the population uh, and saw the humankind as a plague upon the planet, you know, the lesser types at the bottom. They need them when it's wartime and stuff like that, and they've got empires to, to conquer. But they don't, don't have much to do now with them because uh, we've got less and less empires to conquer. We're now in the world empire, 
and the few little, little strongholds that are holding out are getting bombed out of existence and occupied and standardized into the new world system. So now that they have to start bringing down all the, the lesser worker bees, the majority of them, to bring in a new system. Over a period of time, of course, and we've got to be managed through this as well. They, they, they prefer to have your compliance with whatever they want rather than have to force you. They prefer that. So did the historians too, so they can write the books the proper way. What the public didn't mind, they went along with it. That's how they write stuff, you see. But they changed their, their, their tactics too. That they have a great danger, a war-type scenario, to terrify the public. That's when we, we stop thinking for ourselves. We're in panic, you see. And out come the experts again to, to guide us. And so many of them came back from different departments and hit us at the same time to our punch drunk. And, and then they ram law after law after law through. And we can't keep up with them. And we're, we're not even sane enough to, to keep up with them because we're in panic, you see. That's what it's all about. So the eugenicists are using, of course, what else? Um, they're using the climate change nonsense. Well, we've always had climate change. We go up and we go down. We go up and we go down. It's just it's been a, a constant circle. Always will be. Always has been. But they're using this uh, doom and doom scenario, uh, gloom and doom, to, to ram through all the global treaties again to bring down the populations, bring in rationing as well through uh, food shortages, all the stuff. And they can bring food sh- shortages on because since World War II, governments across the Western world have been destroying the small farmer and, and only authorizing the big agri-farm businesses that they've authorized, the five of them, the big five they call them, to take over the entire supply of the, the world's food. And they will also be in charge of dis- distribution eventually. Remember, food is a weapon. You use it for control purposes. Without food, you die. It's very simple, isn't it? And uh, for those who are in control of the, of the, of the production and the distribution uh, are tyrants. That's what Orwell said, too. In any system where the government is hand-in-glove with, with, with those who have the, the means of distribution, the creation and distribution of food, then you're under a tyranny when, when production is withheld from the, the, the public. And that's a fact. But it's all going to come down under a warfare, a war uh, to save us all from global warming. Save us from ourselves, that's what they say. Well, we're causing the problem, and we've got to save you at the same time. But, well, here's the deal. There's too many of you. We've got to sterilize an awful lot of you in the meantime. And on and on it goes. They prattled on about the failure of Copenhagen Treaty, which was an utter uh, ruse, because... Uh, the, the governments had already ag- agreed before the meeting that they would go ahead independently and put it through regardless. Now it comes out in the Guardian.co.uk, April the 12th, confidential document reveals Obama's hardline U.S. climate talk strategy. It outlines key messages the Obama administration wants to convey in the run-up to the Union climate talks in Mexico in November. Now, this is hardly what I call a leak, you know. They don't make leaks unless they want it out there in preparation to prepare your minds. And it says here, a document accidentally left. Now, they don't leave documents around accidentally. On a European hotel computer and passed to the Guardian reveals the U.S. government's increasingly controversial strategy and the global U.N. climate talks. I'm go- I'll go into this and what they plan after I come back from this break. 
You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi, folks. This is Alan Watt, and we're cutting through the matrix. As I said before the break there, this leaked uh, memo, you might say, uh, to do with the U.S.'s plans for, for climate change and how they're going to spearhead it and all the rest of it, was supposedly um, left somewhere and picked up and sent off to the major newspapers. The Guardian for, is one of them. And what it says is that uh, the list of objectives that the U.S. is going to do is going to reinforce a perception that the U.S. is constructively engaged in U.N. negotiations in an, an effort to produce a global regime a global regime, folks, that's, that's very important to remember uh, terms like that, to combat climate change. A regime is not something you can go and negotiate with once it's in power. Yeah. It also talks of managing expectations of the outcome of the Cancun meeting and bypassing traditional media outlets by using podcasts and intimate meetings with the chief U.S. negotiator to disarm the U.S.'s harsher critics, which are generally the U.S. citizenry. I added the last part because it's true. But the key phrase is a paragraph uh, three where the author writes, create a clear understanding of the CAs, that's Copenhagen Accord, standing and the importance of operationalizing all elements. They want all to get round through. And on and it goes. It says here that the U.S. will refuse to negotiate on separate elements of the controversial accord, but it intends to push it through the U.N. process as a single ticket-or-leave-it text. I mean, he wants to ram the whole text through everything. But remember, too, that Obama wanted to lead it in the first place. It doesn't matter who they put in front. They're all the same, as you well know. And I'm sure they've all had meetings to decide who would push it right through. And the U.S. being... Uh, still a major player as far as taxpayer base goes, that's about all, and a supplier of the military, uh, that they'll give it to Obama to, to rush it through. And he'll read his lines, his script that's written for him by the script writers. Personally, as I say, I wish they get rid of presidents and prime ministers and we can just pay the script writers and maybe give them Oscars and stuff for all the, the, the lovely rubbish they, they feed to us. Um, now, the Wise Up Journal it's got an article out here, an, educa- an educated review of global governance. And that's uh, by Gabriel O'Hara. It's, it's quite a good little expose and a listing way of putting different meetings and so on and different statements put out by the big boys themselves on global governance and how they tie in sustainable development with it. That's depopulation, folks, and sterilization and promoting development cooperation. That's that's basically when all the world together works with your tax money to develop whatever they want uh, and bypass you. Because governance, as I said, uh, is the, the making of policies uh, where the public's left out in the cold as to what's happening, and we have no input uh, regardless. Uh, even if we don't like it, there's no complaints department. That's what global governance is. That they're, they're not... Pussyfooting around anymore with us They're going ahead and just ruling us You see, like they used to do in the old tyrant days The feudal systems And that's what Carl Quigley said That this new system they're bringing in And have worked on for a hundred years Is really a new feudal type system We're already there 
But it's quite a good article here. It says, crises are great for introducing and updating big ideas, but global governance has been in the pike for a long time. In 2005, before the financial crisis, the UN held a summit on the coming update to global governance, but the planning goes back much longer than this, as we'll see. And they list a lot of different world meetings went on about global governance and the different uh, parts of societal control that it's all about. It's, It's... well documented. I'll put this up as a link to my site at the end of the show and let you see it. And just to go back a little bit to tie in eugenics, everything is eugenics, folks. If you can't get that, you've had it. Um, we truly live in a class society. It's always been that way. And even in the Soviet Union, you had a class society. You had your rulers and then your plebs down below them. Um, nothing really changes. And power really is a very addictive thing. It's even more addictive to those who try to get power because they're already psychopaths. Ordinary folk don't try and get power, so it only attracts a psychopathic class. Once they're in, they'll do anything to stay in, and you end up with family dynasties. So, and that's just the history of the world. This article here is from Fox News, January 13th, uh, and uh, updated July the 21st, 2009. Obama's signs are, remember this John Holdren, very interesting character, an absolute uh, proponent for eugenics, uh, massive depopulization. Uh, um, he also wanted forced sterilization on, on, right across the board on all the lesser peoples, uh, and on and on it went too. But he, remember, he is now, uh, he, wrote a, he helped write a book in the 70s uh, with Paul Ehrlich, another fanatic, uh, whose wife just happened to be a member of the Club of Rome and uh, the CFR. But uh, he's now in power, remember. He's been up. Look at who's been put in now. Do you think all these characters in every country in the West, the people who were the radical communists that people thought at one time, have now been put into power across the, the Western world at the same time? Is it, do you think it's all a coincidence? Why would they bring them all in now at the same time? all on board at the same time. Thirty years ago, the public were bright enough to to scream if they'd even thought of that or suggested it. You can't have these kind of characters, these fanatics, in, in, in government. But now we've all had 30 years of propaganda, too many people and so on, yada, yada, yada. And it's no big deal to bring on someone who wants to kill a good part of the population by any means possible, as long as it's done humanely. But anyway, back to the article. Obama's signs are considered forced abortions, sterilization as population growth solutions. And, as I say, this is by Joseph Abrams. President Obama's science jar, John Holdren, once floated the idea of, it didn't just once, by the way, made a life career of it, uh, of forced abortions, compulsory sterilization, and the creation of a planetary regime. That's that term again, planetary regime, it is mentioned from another article. Yeah. That's what they use at the top, planetary regime that would oversee human population levels and control all natural resources. What do you think also is about about this global warming? We've got to control all natural resources too. Hmm. As a means of protecting the planet, controversial ideas, as critics say, should have been brought up in his Senate confirmation hearings. Holdren, who has degrees from MIT and Stanford and headed a science policy program at Harvard's Kennedy School of Government for the past 13 years, won the unanimous approval of the Senate as the president's chief science advisor. 
He was confirmed with little fanfare on March 19th as director of the White House's Office of Science and Technology Policy. Policy, folks. A 50-year, a 50-person directorate that advises the president on scientific affairs, focusing on energy independence and global warming. That's, remember I said global warming is just, is just a, uh, just a front for eugenic takedown. But many of Holden's radical ideas and population control were not brought up at his confirmation hearings. It appears that the senators who scrutinized him had no knowledge of the contents of a textbook he co-authored in 1977. Eco-science, population, resources, environment, a copy of which was obtained by foxnews.com. They were just completely ignorant, you know, all these senators, of his background. Ha, ha, ha. Rubbish. Rubbish. The 1,000-page course book, which was co-written with environmental nutcase, uh, sorry, activist Paul and Dan Ehrlich, discusses and in one passage seems to advocate totalitarian measures to curb population growth, which it says could cause an environmental catastrophe. The three authors summarize their guiding principles in a single sentence. To provide a high quality of life for all, there must be fewer people. And by the way, that's also the mandate of the United Nations Department of Population as well. They've said it over and over again because Ehrlich and Holdren and all these guys were always working along with the UN. For the masters, you see, the real masters. Uh, first, as first reported by Front Page Magazine, Holdren and his co-authors spent a portion of the book discussing possible government programs that could be used to lower birth rates. The plans include forced, uh, forcing single women to abort their babies or put them up for adoption, implanting sterilization capsules in people when they reach puberty, and, listen to this, spiking water reserves and staple foods with a chemical that would make people sterile. Well, that's already happened, folks, in case you really can't. For those that can't believe it, tough luck, you're gone. You're, you're, you're the way of the dodo bird already. To help achieve those goals, they formulate a world government scheme they call the Planetary Regime, which would administer the world's resources and human growth, and they discuss the development of an armed international organization, a global analogue of a police force to which nations would surrender part of their sovereignty. Well, just today I was reading an article from the EU, the European Union, and they're creating an army literature to oversee all the pollution and so on and uh, the environment and yada, 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 a little army. Mm -hmm. But that's just coincidence how all that ties together with the same agenda, isn't it? Holdren's office issued a statement to foxnews.com denying that the ecologist has ever backed any of the measures discussed in his book and suggested reading more recent works authored solely by Holdren for a view to his beliefs. Well, his recent works, by the way, I exposed last year uh, because I found them, and they were right online with his previous beliefs. They haven't changed at all. Dr. Holden stated flatly that he does not now support, has never supported compulsory abortions. No, he just said that in a, in a, in a wild craze at one time. That's all, you know, blah, 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 blah. So it's on the it's on the cards, and that's why they're in and on board now. Same in Britain and all these other countries. They've got all the Optimum Population Trust fanatics on there. They call themselves a rich white man's club, by the way, over in Britain, just to confuse the public. They like that kind of stuff, and uh, they're going ahead with it there too. But yeah, they have been sterilizing the population. I've read enough articles about it. I can't go over and do it all again. It's so boring and uh, so long, and um, the agenda goes on. 
and they'll use every con game in the book. It's amazing how environmentalism was combined completely with uh, the eugenics movement to give a cover uh, for a reason and a necessity to bring down the population to fit the plan. And they'll stop at nothing to do it. Just today, I, mean, I, I watched, as I usually do, um, the sky in the morning, and it'll start off nice pale blue, and in comes the planes, and the spray goes on, and then you have the white eggshell mush, no definable clouds left, and by the evening for sure, you've just got this overall eggshell cover, like a blanket being pulled over you, uh, with, with the visible trails, the last trails left there dissipating into them, and then your throat starts getting raspy and all the rest of it, and we've been getting that now since straight since 2000 and uh, actually 1998 in Canada, in Ontario anyway. They tested this stuff as far back as the 1950s to see if it worked over Britain. And I remember it happening too when I was a youngster. They were doing it right through into the 60s on certain places. Scotland was a favorite place because we're always a second class citizen. Uh, you're a colony, you see. And they were using it too in Norwich. They were, they were spraying stuff over Norwich area, including cadmium. And I've used, I've, I've actually read the official documents about that. There's a lot of people you understand who can't believe this stuff. It doesn't matter what you give to them. And even the scientists have done studies on these people. Uh, very interesting studies on them, uh, and how they behave and how, what they will be, believe and what they'll never believe, regardless of the information that's put uh, across to them according to the degree of indoctrination into the system, the fake reality that's authorized. The more they're, they're indoctrinated into it, the less they won't, be, they won't be able to look at uh, documentation. And even if you present it to them, they'll completely ignore it and call you crazy. And that's understood at the top. Perfect indoctrination, you see. You know, with the GM food too, that's another war. How do you uh, attack people? Well, ancient times, they would cut off your water supply or poison it if you were held up in a city and you were being attacked from outside. The outsiders would cut off your water supply and then they'd try and cut off your food supply so you lived on the food that you had inside. Sometimes they would allow traders to go in with food, and but they'd already poisoned it. All these tricks were used way back yonder. Today it's much more subtle, like Holdren says, you just put stuff in their water supply or in their food and you sterilize them. You just keep your mouth shut, that's all. You keep your mouth shut. And every the big boys who control all grants, all grants to, to scientists will never fund them into a study to find out why folk are becoming sterile. Now that's how simple it is. And now you have massive allergies amongst the population now that Monsanto and the, and the big boys are all into GMO foods and massive, uh, terribly carcinogenic pesticides, which also sterilize you as well. But when you become allergic to food or water, when the, when the human being becomes allergic to food or water, now we've already become allergic to everything else in the last, since the 60s, 1960s, since our immune systems were totally attacked by inoculations. But now, now the human species, meaning the lesser types who don't have access to the non-GMO food grown on the big feudal farms that still exist across the planet today, um, when you become allergic to your food, you're in big trouble. 
But it's no crisis, mind you. You see, it should be a crisis, but it's no crisis. It's like the, the average white male in the Western world is down uh, about 80-odd percent uh, uh, below uh, in sperm count what it used to be in 1952. But it's no crisis there, because why? Well, no one's put money in to, to, to see what's wrong or anything, or call it a crisis. But naturally, it should be a crisis. It's because it's intentional. That's why it's no crisis. That's why there's no curiosity. And massive allergies to everything. Here's an article here, and it's from Agribusiness in General. It's called National Rural News. Uh, Fruit and Vegetables, uh, New Allergy Fear by Stephen Kochi, 19th of April, 2009. A rapid increase in fruit and vegetable allergies affecting British children has medical specialists baffled. Now, I read this before, but it, it's got updates in it too. If you scour the internet, you'll find it's happening not just in Britain anymore. They, they try things out in different countries first to see if it works, then they poison the rest of the world. Common vegetables and fruits such as celery, apples, and pears are now rivaling peanuts as the most prevalent cause of food-related allergies. Australian experts say fruit and vegetable allergies are on the rise there as well in Australia, but the problem is not bad as it is in Britain, I'd I'd add yet. There has been an increase in adverse reactions to bananas and kiwi fruits. By the way, bananas were, were one of the first things they modified. So was the potato. Bananas for sure, because what, 15 years ago, they're talking about they'd already modified GMO bananas. We're even thinking of putting, um, making them produce their own serums in it, uh, or vaccinations in it. And kiwi fruits, it says, but peanuts and tree nuts still are the most common triggers for severe allergies in Australia, according to Maria Said, the president of Anaphylaxis Australia. We do see fruit and vegetable allergies. We certainly have people who are allergic to clergy and the pepper family, but the major allergies that are in Australia remain peanuts, tree nuts, milk and egg, fish and shellfish, soy, sesame and wheat, she said. Well, all those stuffs have been modified. I don't know about this, the shellfish. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, this is Alan Watt. We're cutting through the matrix, just finishing an article here on allergies. And it talks about uh, the youngsters mainly are more prone to this, uh, this. The new, I call it the new youngsters, the ones who've had more inoculations than anybody else. And how this is becoming epidemic proportions and skyrocketing and so on. When you become allergic to food, you're in big trouble. Now there's Kevin from Ontario on the phone. Are you there, Kevin? Yeah, I'm here. Yes. Hello there. Yes, go ahead. It sure seems like uh, these globalists are finishing off their agenda now, doesn't it? Oh, they are, yeah. Yep, just like you said in uh, Fall of the Republic, these guys, uh, they got their infrastructure set up, they got the World Bank set up, mm-hmm. world this and world that, and, uh, you know, and uh, classic double speak going on in the media, and you hear pe- people are starting to repeat the double think and double speak everywhere. Yeah. I don't know, is it Orwell's worst nightmare or his greatest dream? I don't, I'm not quite sure on that one, though. Orwell was in touch with Huxley, Aldo Huxley. He, they wrote and, and actually shared ideas on what they foresaw as the Brave New World scenario. They both belonged to the upper crust. Uh, Huxley was well in with the big international meetings of his day and of intelligentsia. He knew the agenda, and uh, his brother Julian was on the board of UNESCO, 
he was descended from the Darwin family, and uh, they agreed that that eventually that probably would be the type of system that would come in eventually after the big brother of Orwell. So the, the so Orwell's uh, big boots authoritarian society would have to start first to terrify us into compliance, and out of that would come the Huxleyan chipped, uh, cloned Brave New World scenario. So that's what they both knew. And uh, they did. I know that Orwell tried to warn the world too. He also knew that it was almost impossible because of the incredible indoctrination and, and sciences used on the minds of the general public. He knew that. So did Aldo Huxley. Yeah, even at that time, when the radio was already 20 years in the making already, people's uh, attention span was already being, uh, you know, their psychology was already being affected by the mainstream media then. Absolutely. In fact, I'll do Huxley's up on with with interviews with Mike Wallace, an old three-part series from the 50s, and he said it was quite easy now for a small group of men to to use uh, techniques across the whole world and put their own people into office. He says, he said, even then in the 50s, he says, we don't vote presidents in, in the U.S. He said, uh, we, we vote in uh, created personalities, created by marketers. Yeah. And, and that's true. And by the time G. Edward Griffin came about and uh, Myron Fagan in the 1960s, when they started coming out and tried warning people of this, when uh, Eisenhower tried warning about the military-industrial complex, it was already too late. The people, the, Most of the masses were already... Um, under this mass hallucination about of the mainstream. Yes, plus what they had too, what, what really helped that along was a scientific school indoctrination put out through UNESCO across all the signatory countries. And um, uh, that really got it go- going. Bertrand Russell did experimental schooling to see if it could work in the 1920s. And he said, if we can get the children young enough, he says, the, the, the children will, will take none of their, pre- their parents' Um, contaminated uh, morality and old-fashioned ideas with them because the scientific indoctrination from kindergarten had proven already to override any parental input. The state would give them the new morality. So you're quite right. Yep. That's happened. But thanks for calling. Thanks for calling. From Hamish, myself, in Ontario, Canada, it's good night. And may your God or your gods go with you.